The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We're continuing our study on the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you look at the next verse, verse 11, I didn't read it this week because I'm going to cover it next week, but I want you to look at the very next verse, verse 11. Jesus makes this all-encompassing statement, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Obviously, you're familiar with the I am statements in the Gospel of John. We've covered this again and again. Remember, I am is the divine name that God gave to Moses at Mount Sinai in the burning bush. Moses asked God what his name is. He said, I am that I am. I am Yahweh. That's the name of I am. I am pure being. And so God gives this divine name, and Jesus uses this I am statement. It's a clear reference to deity. And not only does he say I am, but he says I am the good shepherd. And we noticed last week that all throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh is called the shepherd of Israel, that Yahweh shepherds Israel like sheep. Remember Psalm 23, where David says, the Lord Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. So Jesus says, similarly, I am the good shepherd. That's his relationship to his people, that he is the shepherd of their souls. And that's somewhat of a humbling thing, isn't it? We talked about last week 
that sheep are the only animal that require to be domesticated in order for them to survive. Every other animal, they would make it just fine. But a sheep requires a person to live. Have you seen the videos where the shepherd gets a sheep maybe out of a crack and, the, and as soon as he gets the sheep out, the sheep runs, jumps right back into the crack. That's what sheep are like. And so by using this analogy, Jesus is saying, God is saying, you require somebody to lead you. You need someone to guide you. And I am that good shepherd who leads you. Remember Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here in John 10, we're going to see many characteristics of this good shepherd. What is the truth about who the good shepherd is? And some of these truths will be familiar to you. Some of them you will put a check in the box and you'll say, I, know, I knew that already. But some of them will be startling to you. Some of them will take you off guard. Remember that scene in The Lion, the Witch, in the wardrobe where Susan asked about Aslan? Uh, she, she asked, is he safe? And the beaver said, heavens, no, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good, and he's the king. And that's what the good shepherd is. It, it, you, can't, you can't put the good shepherd in a box and say, okay, he, he's going to fit these nice wickets that our culture deems accept, uh, acceptable. You can't do that with Jesus. Jesus def, defies the world's expectations, but he is the good shepherd. And my hope and prayer is that as you see who the good shepherd is, that you will worship him all the more, that you will be more invited to love and worship him. All right, so I'm going to walk through various qualities that apply to the good shepherd. But before I do, I want you to understand that to understand John chapter 10, you have to understand John chapter 9. You cannot understand John 10 without first understanding what happened in John chapter 9. Remember, there was no chapter breaks when John wrote his gospel. He wasn't writing, you know, chapter and verse. This immediately flows after John chapter 9. And it's an, it's an allegory, it's a story that describes what took place in John chapter 9. So what took place in John chapter 9? You remember, Jesus was walking to the temple. He saw a man born blind. He told that man to go to the pool of Siloam. He put mud in, he spit on the ground, put mud in his eyes. The pool of Siloam means sent. Uh, so Jesus, who is the sent one from God, sends the man to the pool that is called sent. He washes in the pool and he can see. And then there was all this commotion about whether this was the same man. Is he the same man or is he a different man? And there was all this uh, talk and controversy. So they bring that man to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees basically hold court to decide what happened in this situation. And the Pharisees ask him, well, what happened? And he said, well, Jesus uh, healed my blindness. He sent me to the pool and now I can see. And they said, wow, man, what are we going to do with this? And so they called his parents in, and they said, is this your son? And they said, yes, uh, this is our son, but we don't know how he can now see. He was born blind, but we don't know how he can now see. So they said, oh boy. So they called the man back in again. He 
affirms that Jesus is the one that healed him. And if you look up at verse 33, look at chapter 9, verse 33, what this man told the Pharisees. He said, if this man, talking about Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, he starts teaching them. He says, don't you see? This man has worked the miracle of the Son of Man from Isaiah 35. This man is working these signs because he's sent from God. And then look at verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Cast him out of what? They cast him out of Israel. They cast him out of the synagogue. They cast him out of the temple. They cast him out of the worship, out of the sacrifices, out of the festivals, out of everything that he knew. They cast him out. And Jesus then comes. He finds him. He asks them, uh, do you know who the Son of Man is? He says, you know, I, I want to know so that I can believe in him. And Jesus says, you're talking to him. And look at verse 38. He said, Lord, curios." I believe, and he worshiped him, and he worshiped him. Now, let me ask you a question. Out of this whole story, you have all these characters. You have the man, you have the parents, you have the Pharisees. How many of those people are saved? How many? One. One. Now, are they all Jews? Yes, they are. They're all Jews. They're all of Israel. But how many does Jesus save? One. One. Okay. You have that in your mind? Now let's go into John chapter 10. Now you can understand who Jesus is claiming to be as the good shepherd. All right. So I'm going to give you different qualities that Jesus describes himself as. The first, as the good shepherd, he is the legitimate shepherd. He is the legitimate shepherd. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Truly, truly, that's the words, amen, amen. In other words, what I'm about to say to you is really true, really important, so listen very carefully. I say to you, by the way, who's he talking to when he says, I say to you? Look, look back up at verse 40 of chapter 9. Who's he talking to? Pharisees. He's talking to the Pharisees. So understand that. That's, that's the context. He says, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, a sheepfold in ancient Israel was really an open air structure, maybe 10, 12 foot walls. And every night the, the shepherds would bring their sheep out from pasture to the sheepfold. And there would be a hired hand, a porter, a gatekeeper, and they would bring the sheep into the sheepfold and then they would go home. And then in the next morning, they would come back to the sheepfold and then they would call their sheep by name and their sheep would come out of the sheepfold and they would lead their sheep into pasture. Now, in this situation, in this allegory, in this story, the sheepfold represents Israel. It represents the nation of Israel. The reason why I know that, if you look at verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles, the Samaritans, the, the, the God-fearers. He's talking about people that aren't of the sheepfold of Israel. 
So the sheepfold represents Israel. Now, in that case, the door represents Christ, and the door represents the prophecies that pertained to the Messiah. So who are the thieves and the robbers then? Those are the Pharisees that he's talking to. He's saying that you have illegitimately jumped into the sheepfold, and you have promoted a false religion that doesn't point to divine grace. The Messiah is a religion that the proclamation and prophecies that a Messiah would come and bear the, the sin of the people in an atonement. That is not taught. What is taught is the Pharisees' own version of works righteousness called the Midrash. It was their oral tradition. And they basically took the laws of Moses from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and they extrapolated them, and they added to them to the ridiculous degree. And that was their religion. There was no hope of grace that they were teaching. It was all, do this, and God will accept you. It was all, be better, and God will accept you. Notice what Jesus calls them. He says, you are thieves. You are a thief. A thief is someone just simply who steals and then he says, you're a robber. And, and a robber, that, that Greek word, uh, is someone who uses violence to achieve their ends. Uh, the two thieves on the cross that were next to Christ, same word. They were robbers. They were violent men. They were violent men. Um, it's one thing to kill the body. It's something quite worse to steal and kill the soul. And that's what Jesus is talking about. These Pharisees, they looked the part. They looked like religious people, but they had departed from a religion of divine grace, and they had put Israel under a religion of burdensome legalism. And look what Jesus says about them in verse 1. He says, they climbed in by another way. They hopped in over the wall. They came in illegitimately. Have you ever been somewhere where you were not supposed to be? Have you ever been somewhere where you're not? I remember one time um, we were at a, a country music concert, me and some of my college buddies, and we waited around through the lake. It was on a lake to get backstage. And we said, well, how, you know, how do we know somebody's not going to call us out backstage? We just said, well, we just need to look the part. You know, look like we look like we're supposed to be there. So we had our cowboy hats on, and you know, we looked like we were supposed to be there. So nobody said anything, right? But that's how people come in. They look like they're the real McCoy, but they're not. Remember, Jude says in in Jude four, he says, "For certain people have crept in unnoticed," and that's what the Pharisees had done in Israel. They had crept in illegitimately denying and adding to the Word of God. It's a sober reminder. Listen very carefully. Satan's work is so often infiltration. I know we're worried about the world out there, but Satan loves to do his work inside the church. He sends his emissaries in. They are looking the part. Remember, sometimes even disguised as angels of light. They, they are sent in from the inside, and ultimately they deny the doctrine of salvation by grace, and they deny the deity and the necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what these men 
represented. That's what they were. They were thieves and robbers. They were doing damage and violence to the souls of Israel. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In other words, the the shepherd comes to the children of Israel, the, the sheep of Israel, in a legitimate manner. And the door here is the requirement that the Old Testament scriptures had set for the Messiah. A.W. Pink said, quote, Christ presented himself to Israel in a lawful manner that is in strict accord with the Holy Scriptures. So the way that you understand that Jesus is the legitimate shepherd is the way that he came to Israel. Did he come breaking the law? No. You remember the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He obeyed the law of God perfectly. He came and he fulfilled all of the Old Testament types, prophet, priest, king. And he came and he fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies that were made about him. You will never find anyone that could fulfill to the nth degree the prophecies that our Lord fulfilled when he came. You never will. The Lord fulfilled every single prophecy. Jesus said in John 5, 39, he says, you search the scriptures because that you think that in them they have eternal, you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. The scriptures from Genesis to Malachi bear witness that the Lord Jesus Christ would come as the Messiah to save his people. Do you remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus was explaining to his disciples how he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures is Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So when you read the Old Testament, it is all ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the final Adam. He is the Lion of Judah. He is the eternal Davidic king. He is the son of man of Daniel. He is the ultimate prophet of Deuteronomy 18. He is the Lamb of God of of Isaiah 53 who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes in a legitimate way. What I'm saying is, is you can pick up your Bible, sit down with a Jew, and point Jesus to them. That's what I'm saying. There's legitimacy about how he came. He is the only legitimate shepherd. Look at verse 3, beginning, beginning phrase, to him the gatekeeper opens. That word gatekeeper means a porter, somebody who keeps a door. It's used one other time in the New Testament in John 18. Uh, the, the girl who kept the door at the high priest's house, that's where else it's used. It's somebody who keeps people from going in and out. It's like a bouncer, somebody who makes sure that the right people get in and the wrong people don't. So that's what a porter is, and he says to him, to Christ, the gatekeeper, the porter, opens. Now, who's the gatekeeper? Uh, There's different speculation about the identity of the gatekeeper. I believe that the gatekeeper is John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the Messiah and to announce to Israel who the Messiah is. That's what the forerunner, forerunner, forerunner 
does. John 1.29, John the Baptist. Remember, Jesus is coming, and John the Baptist is sitting there with his disciples. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's him. And when he baptized our Lord, it was a designation that this is indeed the Messiah. John the Baptist came to point to who the Messiah is. All that to say that the good shepherd is the legitimate shepherd, fulfilling all of the requirements of the Old Testament. Second, he is the pursuing shepherd. He is the pursuing shepherd. He came for his sheep. He came to pursue his sheep. Look at the second part of verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. Pay very special attention to this next phrase. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So Jesus came to his sheep Remember, in Israel, he's coming into the sheepfold, and he's calling his own sheep by name, and he's calling them out, ultimately, of this institution of Israel. He's calling them into, eventually, the church, out of the sacrificial system, which he will fulfill, out of the Old Testament festivals, which he will fulfill, out of the dietary laws which he again fulfills. He's calling them out of their sin, out of their old lives, and into the kingdom of God. But notice, when you read the New Testament, when you read John chapter 9, the call only goes out to a remnant. And here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean by that. This particular call that's mentioned in verse 3 is not the general call of the gospel that goes forth to everyone, right? When you go to a Billy Graham <laughs> crusade, Billy Graham at the very end, you know, Cliff Barrows would be singing, uh, just as I am, and there would be a call. Everybody, you come down. I'll meet you right here. Remember that? That's the general call. There's a general call that goes out. Jesus made those general calls all the time. General uh, Jesus would declare, you know, look to me to the ends of the earth and be saved. The general call would go out. But that's not the call that Jesus is talking about in verse 3. He's talking about the effectual call, the inner call that Christ makes. One time when I was, when I was growing up, I took two of my neighbors to the Billy Graham crusade in Houston. Uh, both boys I knew to be defiant sinners. I knew because of the language they would use while we rode bikes. I took them to the Billy Graham crusade, and here's the deal. At the end, one got up and one didn't. What's the difference? The difference is the effectual call of God. The effectual call is the inward spiritual call of the sheep that brings them from unbelief to faith. Here's a definition from R.C. Sproul. He said, quote, the effectual call of God is an inward call. It is the secret work of quickening or regeneration accomplished in the souls of the elect by the immediate supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. It affects or works the inward change of the disposition 
inclination and desire of the soul. So Christ is saying that he leads out his sheep with this effectual call. When he calls in power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, the sheep always come. They always come. He's walking by a tax collector booth, and he looks at Matthew, and he looks at him, and he says, you, Levi, Matthew, you come and follow me. He walks by, he sees Mary Magdalene, she's possessed by seven demons, cast them out. You, follow me. By the Sea of Galilee, he looks, Peter and Andrew, mending their nets. He says, you, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And there's something that goes on when the Holy Spirit works in this effectual call that propels you, propels you to follow Christ. And that's the effectual call of God. Now, I want you to notice something. Look back at verse 3. When do the sheep become sheep? Do they become sheep when they respond to the call? Are they goats first and then they become sheep? No. They were always the sheep. They don't start becoming sheep when Christ calls them. Christ calls them by name because they are his sheep. You see that in verse 3? Do your Columbo. Look carefully. It's there. And it's startling. It's startling. This is what I'm saying. You, you can't put the good shepherd in a box. This is the doctrine of sovereign election. If you are a sheep, it's because God chose and appointed you to be a sheep. The doctrine of sovereign election is the doctrine that God the Father sovereignly chose his sheep for salvation before the foundation of the world. And he chooses them not on the basis of foreseen merit, but on the basis of his mercy and his grace. On the basis of his mercy and his grace. There's a, a verse in, in John 15 where Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So Jesus says to his disciples, and this is, I know this is flipping the script. He says, you didn't choose me. I know you thought you did. I chose you. You, when you were choosing me, I was calling you. What's the basis of this call, of this choosing? When does it happen? Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, this is Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Did you just hear that? So God chose and appointed the sheep 
before the foundation of the world for the purpose that we would become, knowing that we would sin, but that we would become holy and blameless before him according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So God the Father foreordained who the sheep would be And what Christ is doing is he is coming on a rescue mission to call them to himself. Now, of course, Christ preaches to everyone. He he lays out the call to everyone, but it is only, and, and, and you see this very clearly, it is only the sheep who respond. Look at verse 26 of chapter 10. Look at verse 26. He's talking to the Pharisees again. Look at verse 26. Look at this. Unbelievable. You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. The reason why you do not believe and you reject the truth is because you are not of my sheep. That's the ground. That's the reason that you will not believe. Absolutely mind-blowing. So the sheep always follow when they hear the voice of Christ. Now, what this means is, what this means is that there is no boasting then that you are a sheep. I mean, this is meant not to lift you up, but to humble you. I mean, you are a sheep, not on any basis of your merit, of your ingenuity, of your ancestry. You are a sheep simply because the Lord chose you to be a sheep. And moreover, you might think, wow, well, that's, that's really special. Um, listen to what Paul says. Paul says that often God chooses the weak people to be the Christians, to be the sheep, in order to shame the proud. I mean, this is, this is humbling and exhilarating all at the same time. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Look around you and see the people that God has called, the sheep that God has called. He said, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Look at this, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Isn't that magnificent? God chooses the weak, the lowly. Now, there's some, he says, not many. There there is an apostle Paul and there's a Dr. Luke thrown in there. But the rest were Galilean fishermen. It's not many who are noble. So, he is a pursuing shepherd. And every, here, here's the, the good news with this. What that means is, is that every single one of God's sheep will be saved because Christ will pursue them to the end and will call them to himself. Now, we don't know who the sheep are. Uh, Spurgeon said, if I knew who the elect were, if they had a big E tattooed on their backs, I would only preach to them. But we don't know. 
So I preach to everyone. Because we don't know who the sheep are. But listen, I know, I know that when I preach Christ and Him crucified, that Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, will call His sheep to Himself. And when I preach the gospel, I know that ultimately it's the Good Shepherd who does the work. And I can go home and enjoy a vanilla milkshake knowing that he is going to complete the task, not me. He's the good shepherd. He is, I'm just an under-shepherd. We're all just, we're all just ambassadors for Christ. He is the one that calls people to himself. That's, that's the beauty of understanding that he is the pursuing shepherd. Third, so he's a legitimate shepherd, one. He's the pursuing shepherd, two. He's the leading shepherd. Look at verse four. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In ancient times, this is how shepherds would work in the Near East, uh, they wouldn't drive the sheep with a rod and a staff. They would go out in front of the sheep, and the way that they would lead their sheep to where they wanted to go is they would call them with their voice, and all the sheep would recognize the shepherd's voice. I once, uh, I, I was reading this week, and I, and I saw this, this uh, anecdote that said that a shepherd could blindfold himself, and he would recognize the sound of his own sheep and be able to call them by name, even blindfolded, and the sheep, vice versa, recognize the sound of the shepherd's voice. And so he would go before them and lead them from the front. When I was in the Marine Corps, that's what we were taught as officers to do, that, that if you are to lead, you always lead from the front. You don't ask the Marines to do the hard things. You get up front with them and, and, and get your hands dirty right with them, unless it's mills. Mills, you always go last. But everything else, everything that's difficult, you lead from the front. And that's what these shepherds would do. They would lead their sheep from the front. Every dangerous place that they were leading their sheep, they would be there first. And they would be calling their sheep by name with their voices. That's how Christ leads us. You know, so Christ calls you. He pursues you. He calls you. And then what the Christian life is, all of it, all of the Christian life is him leading you. And he leads you with his word, with, literally with the word of God. That's why the Christian's life in its entirety is an experience of the Bible. Because the entirety of your life is Christ calling to you and leading you through the word of God. And he gives you the Holy Spirit. And, and as you read the Word of God, as you hear the Word of God, as you listen to the Word of God, as you memorize the Word of God, the Holy Spirit bears witness in your heart that it is the truth. And that's why oftentimes you go through different stages of life and you encounter different things and, and verses strike you in different ways. You know, you, you might be going through an experience and you say, man, I never read this verse that way before. What's going on there? Well, Christ is calling to you. He's leading you through the Word of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 119.60, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Psalm 119.47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. 
So Christ leads his sheep through the word of God. And the word of God, when you read it, when you hear it, it pierces, you, pierces your heart, it convicts you, it encourages you, it lifts you up, it breaks you down, it leads you to worship. Writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.12, 4, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So Christ directs you again and again through his word throughout your entire life to the green pastures and, and through the valleys of the shadow of death. He leads you into the valleys. You ever, you wake up one day and things have, you know, you get the diagnosis or you hear the news or the company is going under. Christ leads his sheep into the valleys. So Christianity isn't this religion that says, oh, that it's, it's all going to be rose petals and buttercups. That's what the prosperity gospel guys are telling you. No, that ain't it. The shepherd will lead you through valleys, but he's there with you, and he's calling to you, and leading you, and directing you, and comforting you with his word. Why? So that you will be more sanctified, more like him, that you will learn to depend more on him than you presently are, and so that ultimately he will be glorified and honored in your life. So he leads you through the valleys. But here's the thing. It's infinitely better to be with your good shepherd in any life circumstance than have all the infinite fleeting pleasures of the world. Amen. You take the life of Hollywood and, and you have 10 people at your beck and call, $100 million in the bank account, and you don't have Christ, you have nothing. If Christ is your, is your shepherd, you have everything. You can face anything. And he will guide, and he will direct you, and he will call you. Now, look at verse 5. He says, and this is our own experience in life, he says, a stranger, they will not follow. In other words, the true sheep, the true Christians, they will not follow a stranger, ultimately. They might get to see for a while, but they will ultimately not follow a stranger. But they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the true Christian recognizes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they recognize Bible. They recognize the truth. And when they hear something that's not the truth, the hairs on the back of their neck stick up. So wait a second. That doesn't sound right. I'm not sure that's, where's the chapter and verse for that? I was talking to Doug Bogey the other day. We were, we were uh, driving to the OR event in the car, and he was just telling me about his past experience in churches, and he said, yeah, uh, Quinn and I, we went to a, uh, this Methodist church. I'm not going to say which church it is, but just a Methodist church. And we started an evangelism program at the Methodist church, and we wanted to teach people how to evangelize. We want to take people out to evangelize. And, and they, uh, they, they, they got us, and they said, we don't do that here. I said, wait, what do you mean you don't do that here? He said, yeah, yeah, we don't do that here. 
They said, that's not the voice of the shepherd. And they left. Why? Because believers, they know, they understand the voice of the shepherd, and they know when they hear a stranger's voice. And that's why, listen, that's why I know. I, I, I grew up partly in Houston, where Lakewoods is, and Osteen, and, you know, all of that prosperity gospel stuff. True Christians don't stay in churches like that. They leave. Why? Because the, the guy is pointing to the glorification of man and not the glorification of Christ. And shepherds, uh, it's the sheep, they know, no, that's not Bible. God called us to carry a cross, not a mansion. That's not Bible. Our mansion is in heaven. Or I've go to, gone to prepare a place for you. My father's house are many mansions. That's the mansion I'm looking for. And so the believer has a calibration by the power of the Holy Spirit to know that is not true, and that is a stranger speaking. It's not Bible, and it's taken out of context. So look at verse 6. So Jesus has finished this, this story, and he's, and he's called out these, these Pharisees, and he says, look, this is why the sheep are following me, not following you. He says, verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, obviously, you would think that these Pharisees, they'd studied the Old Testament. They would know the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They would have read Ezekiel 34 that talks about the, sh- the, the shepherd of the sheep and the, and, the, and the poor shepherds and the good shepherd that's coming. They would have read Psalm 23. So surely they would have understand, understood that God is the shepherd. But what they didn't understand is that Jesus is claiming to be the shepherd who comes. And I also think that they didn't understand that the shepherd comes only to call a remnant. That's what's surprising. That it's only a remnant. How many were saved in the story? One. Oh, one. But if you read the Old Testament carefully, they should have known that it was only a remnant that Christ would come to save. Amos 5.15 says, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Micah 2.12, and and I just had a a laundry list of verses. I'm just putting these two here. Micah 2.12, I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in pasture. So Jesus came to lead out a remnant. Remember Paul in Romans 9, he says, not all Israel is Israel. Just because you're born a Jew doesn't mean that you're a sheep. Not all Israel is Israel. You you can't just get in on the basis of the fact that you celebrate Hanukkah. It has to be because you look to the fulfillment of Israel, which is Christ and Him crucified. It's on the basis of where you stand with the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, that you get into the kingdom. So that's three, that He is the leading shepherd. He leads us throughout our lives. And then four, He is the exclusive shepherd. He is the exclusive shepherd shepherd. 
Look at verse 7. So what Jesus does now is, is they've basically said, we don't understand, we don't get what you're talking about. So Jesus is going to dial it down. He's going, to, he's going to, to momentarily get away from being the shepherd analogy. And now he's going to say, let me break it down to you in the most basic way possible. Truly, truly, amen, amen. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So the metaphor switches slightly. He's saying, I am the exclusive way of salvation for the sheep, the one and only way. I'm the door. I'm the only way in. I'm the only way out. And of course, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, singular, the truth, singular, and the life, singular. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the exclusive spirituality of the people of God. Paul says in Ephesians 2.18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And this, by the way, is what the world rejects today. What the world cannot tolerate, what the world goes into apoplectic fits over, is the claim of exclusivity, that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's not a way. He's the way. For from his fullness, John says, we have all received grace upon grace. He is the only way of true spirituality. And the true sheep, they know it. They know it. That's why when I talk to somebody who claims to be a Christian, and they claim to, they claim to be a Christian, and they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I think that there are many roads that lead to heaven, I immediately know that that person is not a sheep. They're confused about the true understanding of Christ and the gospel itself. Um, here, look at verse 8. Here's why I know that. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. By that, he's not talking about the Old Testament prophets. He's not talking about Moses. He's talking about Second Temple Judaism. He's talking about the Pharisees and this entire religion of Midrash that they had set up. He says, the sheep know it. The sheep uh, know who the thieves and the robbers are. You, you remember uh, Simeon in the temple? Remember Anna in the temple? They knew. What were they, what were they waiting for? The hope of Israel, Christ. They were waiting for the Messiah. They weren't doing the Pharisees' religion. They knew. Martin Luther said, quote, these thieves and robbers form at all times the great majority of the world that come to prey on the sheep and to promote a works righteousness religion. Isaiah prophesied of them. This is Isaiah 56, 11. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough, but they are shepherds with no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. That's the mark of a false teacher. Is they're in it for their own gain. That's how you know. That's how you know. At the end of the television broadcast, they're going to ask for more and more money, and in return, they'll give you a blessing. Guess what? They can't, <laughs> there's no blessing coming. No blessing coming from that. Um, the, the, the false teachers are concerned about their own gain, not the well-being of the sheep. Now, I'm going to close with this because we're, we're running out of time. But here's what's interesting. As far as I can tell, 
Jesus not once in the Gospels ever warned anybody to beware of the Romans. Not once. Here's why. The Romans could kill your body, but the Pharisees, they'll kill your soul. So Jesus, Jesus warned and warned and warned about the thieves and the robbers who promoted this works, righteousness, religion. And he warned people with tears in their eyes. He even pleaded with them to repent and to come and believe in him because he is the good shepherd. He is the exclusive shepherd. He's the only shepherd that you can believe in. He's the leading shepherd who leads you throughout the course of your life. He is the pursuing shepherd, and he is the legitimate shepherd. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to the throne of grace, and we thank you, Lord, for such a good shepherd. We are stunned just seeing his magnificence and his marvelous pursuit of us, Lord, that who are undeserving, uh, who are not worthy of the kingdom of God, Lord, we praise you that you pursued us, that you showed us that you are indeed the Messiah, the legitimate king of Israel, the legitimate Messiah, that in pursuing us and calling us to yourself, that you lead us, praise be to God, that you lead us through your word, through your truth. And we thank you, Lord, also that you show us that you are the only way, the exclusive shepherd, the only way to God. And so, Lord, we pray that if anyone hasn't come to know the living Christ as the way, as the shepherd, that they would repent of their sins and that they would trust him as Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, for these truths, these glorious truths. We pray, Lord, that we would worship you even more fully because we know them. We love you. We trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.